The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Malachi chapter 1, 
42 verses, one to five. This is the word of the Lord for us. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? It is not Esau, Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to kill countries and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Eden says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked people, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let me briefly pray. Father Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Through your Spirit, speak to our hearts. Verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. We see at the start of most prophecies that sort of wording, don't we? This is who's writing. It's a message to God's people from God. And we might be tempted, in fact, to just pass by like we would someone who's handing out hail of those cards on election day. Hey, we might just sort of go, oh yeah, let's get into the, the real body of this. Let's get into what's been said. I'd encourage us not to pass by that sentence too quickly. Let's pause for a time to see what God is saying. Let's pause for a time to just focus in sentence for a while. This is a word of the Lord. Now, as we would expect from prophecy from God, it, it sets us up to, to expect a few things from this book. We might expect the language of poetry to be present. That would be pretty typical of biblical prophecy. We might expect an imagery that's quite symbolic. We might expect references to judgment. God putting his finger on the sin of his people, calling them out of unfaithfulness to him, calling them to repentance and faith in him as their covenant keeping God. We would expect that God would in some way talk about his love for them. And talk about the result of a future of hope if they are to turn to him. The Yahweh, the Lord, is not a God who speaks once and then holds his tongue for the rest of history. But he continues to speak to his people. He does so to warn them when they are straying from the right path, when they are straying from living in right relationship with him. It's like those ridge lines on the side of the highway. If you start to drift out of your lane, the noise comes and your, your wife and kids wake up and quickly press, nothing, nothing is happening. God speaks to warn his people and to call them back to covenant Faithful relationship with him. 
Let's have a look at, some, at three words in this first sentence. Let's look at the words Lord, Israel, and Oracle. So first, you know, this is the word of the Lord, Yahweh. This God's covenant name with his people. You might remember he saved them out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them to himself on Mount Sinai. He revealed himself to them, his character, how they were to live in relationship with him. Yahweh is the God of the covenant. It's the word in Israel. It's the name of the covenant people. That family group that became a nation in Egypt and came out and entered into covenant relationship with Yahweh. That is Israel. So in a way, God is reminding his people that they are all in this together. He is still the covenant God. Those who have returned from exile are still the covenant people. We're also told that this is an oracle of Yahweh. So we might translate that word burden. Although the sense of that is normally a sense of judgment. And Yahweh gives an oracle. It's a, it's a judgment to his people. But it's not just that. Because the reason behind Yahweh's burden for his people is a burden of covenant love and faithfulness. He desires to live in covenant love and faithfulness with his people. That is the burden he carries for Israel. The burden of love. So no wonder we see in verse 2, Yahweh says, I have loved you. The sense of that verb, I have loved you, is not just love for you is something I had in the past. It's actually love for you is something I still have. God is saying, I have loved you and I love you still. So the response of Israel is pretty clear. How have you loved you? Like they're saying, yes, right. Here's the proof of your love for us today, Lord. How have you loved us lately? Do they doubt God's love for them in the present? In the stories of a distant exorcist, Exodus, seems to carry little weight for this return being of exile. In their current circumstances, they're wondering, how do you love us in the world? Try to put yourself in their shoes. Sure, they're back in their land, but it hardly feels to them like a promise land. And listen to the things that were promised through Hosea in Hosea 14. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, who shall blossom like the lily, who shall take root 
like the trees of Lebanon. His feet shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Hardly sounds like their current situation, doesn't it? Who is their blessing? You can hardly describe them as a blossoming people. Where is their freedom? They're still ruled by Persia. And it doesn't seem to look too good in the future. The Greeks are just around the corner. The one who would come and establish God's kingdom, his glorious rule here on earth. Malachi's audience are people who are harboring unmet expectations. They had returned from exile as they were on. They had rebuilt. Yahweh's temple as they arrived. They had rebuilt the city walls as they arrived. They expected that life would now get easier. But instead, life was hard. It was monotonous and drab, yet they were expecting it to be exciting and glorious. Disappointment for these unmet expectations leads them to doubt God's love. Problems with you, God. You promise that you don't love. They don't see proof of His present love in their present day. They start to wonder if they are still in covenant relationship with God at all. And that leads to apathy. Apathy towards God, apathy towards one another. Apathy is a dangerous state to be in, isn't it? Apathy is a stopover on the way to apostasy. We need to beware of apathy. We'll see this attitude coming out in the, the coming weeks in, in different areas of their life. But so now you can imagine. The Israelites were going through life thinking, what's the point? Maybe you can relate. Have you found yourself doubting someone's love to you? Maybe you found yourself doubting your spouse's love to you. I might have promised something back then, but it's not getting it right now. Not feeling the love, do they really love me? You doubt their love. I suspect you start to think, what's the point of trying anyway? Or maybe it's with your parents. Maybe you start to doubt whether or not your parents really love you. Maybe bad that authoritarian figure. 
seems to be more interested in molding behavior than molding character. And no matter what you do, you can't seem to make them say, can't seem to say, Maybe your parents seem to be more focused, care more about their careers, their leisure, their free time, for their time. When you get that sense, you start to think, what's the point of being Maybe that's how you started to feel in your relationship with God. When you first trusted in Jesus, you, you expected that things would head up. You expected that life would get easy. The financial troubles would go away, they'd just be dealt with. Your health problems would clear up. You expected a life of struggle would turn to a life of peace. But in reality, your health continues to wane. And at best, your financial margins When life is hard, it is tempting for us to doubt God's love. To start to think about our relationship with God and go, what's the point? attitude of apathy has come because the Israelites are interpreting God's love for them in light of their circumstances rather than going the other way around. Interpreting their circumstances in light of God's love. So God invites the Israelites to, con- to correct their interpretation by using a bit of a, a case study and he uses the example of Jacob and Esau. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Well, let's compare the pair. Esau is the ancestor of the Edomites. Jacob, the ancestor of Israel. The twin brothers of the same parents. They're both blessed by God. They have some very serious character flaws. The Easter is a despiser. He despised his birthright as the eldest son. Now, the birthright back then is a, a double portion of the blessing, a double portion of the inheritance when the father passes away. It's also responsibility to lead the family. And in this particular situation, this particular family, the family where God had appeared to Abraham and then to Isaac and said, I will bless the world through you. You will be a blessing. In this specific context, Esau despises the birthright. So like he counts the blessing of God as basically worthless. He's willing to give it up 
three meals. He also despises his brother Jacob for, for deceiving him. Yes, Jacob was a deceiver. He had serious purposes. He deceived his father Isaac into giving him the blessing that's normally held out, kept to the eldest brother. He sought to take fulfillment for the blessing that God said would be him. He sought to take it into his own hands rather than trusting God to give it as a gift in God's time. Knowing Jacob's purposes, God chooses to love him. He chooses to show faithful love to Jacob and Jacob's descendants, even though they don't deserve God's love. Israel was repeatedly unfaithful to God in the covenant with him. But still God remains faithful to them. And he does this because love is a commitment. The commitment we choose to make. Love is not some fuzzy emotional feeling. One commentator puts it this way, I think it's very helpful. Explain love is a settled attitude of being for someone, whatever the circumstances, not merely the expression of an emotional heart. It's what a husband and wife commit, wife commit to do when they marry one another, isn't it? They commit to love, to honour, to be faithful to one another. In other words, they commit to be for the other person. They commit to do that in richer or poorer, sickness or health. In other words, they commit to do that whatever the circumstances of their life. God's commitment to love Jacob and his commitment to love Israel is his commitment to covenantal relationship with Jacob and his descendants. He's committed to be for them, whatever the circumstances. Because he is gracious, this commitment remains. Because he is faithful throughout the generations of Israelite history, God remains faithful. God doesn't just let their sins slide. Their sin is judged and punished through exile. It's the important note there, the important difference is they do not remain in exile. God brings them back to the land, to where Jacob was loved by God. We're told Esau, God hated so if we understand the love, God's love of Jacob and his descendants correctly, we can then understand God's hatred of Esau correctly. This is the opposite to love. It, it, his hatred of Esau expresses a lack of covenant relationship. 
mit uns so und hilft uns dann expresses a lack of covenant love to them. This too is not an emotional feeling. It's not like God is overcome with a, a, a fit of outrage towards him. No. But he doesn't let the Edomites get away with it. He punishes their sin. They are exiled from their land. Oh. So I said, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the river. If Eden says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear them up. And they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Even has no hope beyond the judgment of God. So they are not in covenant relationship with Him. The message we are to get from the example of Jacob in Esau is this Neither Jacob nor Esau. Deserve God's love. Neither Israel nor Edom deserve God's love. They had all sinned. They would all suffer the consequences for their sin. But God chose to love Israel. Not because Israel had anything special in and of himself. But because God is gracious and loving, He chose to love to fulfill His promises and His blessing of the world through Jacob and his descendants. And because of His love, Israel has future beyond Jacob. See, God's love to Israel. It's evident in how he has treated them, but it's also evident in how Eden has been treated. So Israel has only to look to the nations around them to see that God loves them in a special covenant way. So whether the evidence comes from his love for them in their life or the lack of love he has for the nations around them, God is glorified. And his love for Israel is obvious. So where does that lead us? Well, the Bible tells us that by nature we are the same as Esau and Jacob. We don't deserve God's love. We too are despisers. We too are deceivers. There's nothing in and of us to deserve. God's love for us. Paul says to us in Romans, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. It's pretty clear, isn't it? We all suffer from the same nature. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Though we are not deserving of God's love, because he is gracious and faithful, he chooses to love us even today. How has he loved you lately? When you see it just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. I have loved you. As the promised Messiah, Jesus came and played the part of Israel. On the cross, he died and suffered judgment, but in his resurrection, he had a future beyond judgment. See, he died as judgment for our sins. He took that judgment upon himself. And for all who are coming to a right relationship, a covenant relationship with God, we too have a future beyond judgment. Have you done that? Have you come into a covenant relationship with God? Have you heard his word to you? Oh, thank you. We do this by confessing our sins. Come before God. God, I don't deserve it. If we come before God humbly, He does what? Well, because he is faithful and just, he forgives us our sins. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Have you done this today? Have you come into covenant relationship with Jesus? If not, what's stopping you from doing that today? What's stopping you from doing it now? There's plenty of us who have come into covenant relationship with God already, haven't we? Maybe that's you, but you find yourself relating really closely with, with the Israelites in Malachi's day. And you're asking, how is God loving you now? Where's the evidence in my life? God has loved you, friends, and He loves you still. 
Don't slip into the, death, the trap of death and God's love for you in light of your circumstances. Turn it around. Accept His love. Trust His love. And see how He is loving you in the midst of your circumstances. So what are some practical things that we can do to help us when we are tempted to get His love? One thing I've noticed is then when I find myself tempted to doubt God's love for me, it seems to happen in those moments when life is all about me. I need to recognize that. I need to work hard to get outside of myself to see a bigger picture of God's love for me, of God's love for his people in the world. First way to do this is to pray. To pray often and to pray honestly. Could you commit to that today? Whatever it's been like in the past, could you commit today to praying often and praying honestly to God? Lay your heart out on the table and say, Lord, Starting to think, what's the point? Remind me of your love. And he will. If you'll go to the second step, if you'll commit to spending regular time in the Word of God, he speaks to us by his Word. He speaks to us through his Spirit. We need to be regularly in His Word so that we can hear His Word. I have loved you and I love you still. Can you commit to spending regular time in the Word of God? And another thing. Do you put bookmarks in your life? I know you put bookmarks in your book. That's why they're called bookmarks. Bookmarks are there to remember specific pages, aren't they? Or maybe you underline, you highlight, so that it catches your attention. Have you ever tried putting bookmarks in your life? Setting up that sort of reminder that you remember forever where you go, I remember that. God loves you. He loves you. Is that something you can commit to start doing? You start reflecting on your life and bookmarking these moments and go, yes. God showed he loves me despite the circumstances of my life. Friends, can you commit to trusting God whatever your circumstances? Trusting Jesus to be for you, whatever is going on in your life. That is faith. That is what God's people are called to do. God loves you. He loves you still. His love for his people is going to be encouraged by that this morning. So let me pray. I love you, Heavenly Father. Well, thank you for not letting us go past these opening verses without 
stopping and considering afresh who you are, who we are, and the love you have for us. Father, how do we express the love you have shown to us through our Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, the only appropriate way for us to express it is to come before you. To lay it out on the table and say, Lord, even though I don't deserve this great love, thank you. Lord, we pray that each and every day we might be reminded of your love. But in our daily lives, whatever is going on, we might be reminded and hold on to the truth that you have loved us and you love us still. And Father, in these sometimes moments, sometimes decades, whole lifetimes of struggle and hardship. Father, help us to keep our eyes on your way. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And to trust you to be for us, no matter what God says us. Thank you for being Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.